RTHK News. It's 11 o'clock, I'm Todd Harding. Tonight's headlines. People defy a police ban to remember the Tiananmen Square massacre 31 years ago. The national anthem bill is passed despite opposition and about 100 residents are being evacuated from a shut-in public housing block over COVID-19. Thousands of people packed into Victoria Park earlier this evening for a candlelight vigil, despite a police ban and the erection of barriers to prevent people from entering the park's football pitches. Social distancing rules put in place because of the coronavirus pandemic meant, for the first time, the annual vigil held to commemorate the 1989 Tiananmen Square massacre was not given the go-ahead. Lee Chuk Yan, chairman of the event's organisers, the Alliance in Support of Patriotic Democratic Movements of China, said with the imposition of a national security law, they weren't sure if they would be able to hold the vigil next year. We do not know whether we will have a candlelit vigil next year. But this, this year is like an exercise under banning. So we are prepared next year. The same, even ban, we will continue to come into Victoria Park to light a candle to mourn those sacrificed 31 years ago for democracy. Similar events were held across town to remember the victims of the crackdown. Smaller groups convened in Saiyingpun, Saikung, Tunmun, Kuntong, Chingyi and elsewhere. Many who took part in the vigils also chanted slogans such as Five Demands Not One Less and Reclaim Hong Kong, Revolution of Our Times. In Mongkok, police say they subdued a number of people after some began blocking roads near the intersection of Argyle and Portland streets at around nine this evening. People had gathered in the area to mark the June 4th anniversary. Officers say they used minimum force to handle the situation. They also told people not to block roads or hurt other members of the public. LegCo has passed the National Anthem Bill, despite opposition by pan-democratic lawmakers. The debate today was suspended for hours after Zhu Hoi Dick and Raymond Chan threw a stinky liquid onto the chamber floor as part of last-ditch efforts to stall the bill. Police arrived at the scene and detected non no toxic or flammable gas. Later, Ted Hoy pulled off a similar stunt. Officers are investigating the cases with pro-government lawmakers accusing their rivals of violating the Legislative Council ordinance. Elizabeth Quatt is from the DAB. We condemn this because even under the law, Legislative Councillors should not using this kind of action to stop the meetings and to stop us to vote for any legislation. So we think that this is a very improper action and I think the um, electrical secretary should report to the police about this because this is against the law. The bill makes disrespecting or misusing the national anthem a criminal offence, with offenders liable to fines of up to $50,000 or three years in prison. Pro-democracy legislators had stalled the legislation for months, but it was bumped up to the top of the agenda after the pro-establishment camp seized back control of the House Committee last month. About 100 residents of a public housing block in Shartin are being evacuated from their homes and sent to quarantine camps. They live in flats ending with the numbers 10 and 12 in Luk Chun House at Lek Yun Estate, where at least seven residents have tested positive for COVID-19. Officials believe the sewage system there might have helped transmit the virus. Here's the Environment Secretary, Tse Chin Wan. Although we have not discovered any defects yet, and, uh, but we cannot ignore there is a possibility that well, uh, there are transmissions through the sewage system. That's why we believe uh, it is safe well, to evacuate all the well, uh, residents connecting to that well, uh, soil pipe uh, for us. 
to enable a thorough check by Housing Department College on whether there's any defects on on, on the soil pipes and, and, and if there's any, that they can rectify it and clean it before while our residents have come back to the units. Dr Leung Chi Chu, chairman of the Medical Association's Advisory Committee on Communicable Diseases, warned that other residents of the building face the risk of being infected. The evacuation at this moment is more to protect the community because the people in, the, in this unit could have been infected and might not have developed disease at this time and some of them could turn into silent transmitter and uh, their quarantine in quarantine camp may be a proper step to take. The question is more on how about those remaining in the units because uh, environmental contamination is still a possibility and it cannot be excluded. You're listening to RTHK. The time is coming up to five minutes past 11. Hong Kong's sole member of the National People's Congress Standing Committee has sought to play down the controversy sparked by his remarks yesterday that people should be disqualified from the LegCo elections if they oppose the national security legislation. Tan Yu Chong insists that's just his personal opinion. Priscilla Ng reports. Speaking on an RTHK program, the pro-establishment heavyweight said it is a matter of principle that those who hold public office uphold the basic law and pledge allegiance to the SAR. Tam Yu-chung said because the city's mini-constitution clearly stipulates that ensuring national security is of utmost importance, rejecting the bill would amount to failure to uphold the basic law, and the returning officer would have to take this into account when deciding the eligibility of a potential candidate. While Mr. Tam stressed he wasn't speaking on behalf of Beijing or the SAR government, he said many people and lawmakers agree with him. He added that people should express their views on the law as soon as possible, while acknowledging the NPC website was still not ready yet to receive people's comments. On the mainland, relatives of a small number of those killed in the Tiananmen Square massacre 31 years ago have visited the graves of their loved ones, despite concerns about the coronavirus outbreak. That story from Maggie Ho. The relatives had expressed worries that they could be banned from visiting the graves this year due to COVID-19. But in the end, they were allowed to go, as long as they registered their ID cards with offices. As with previous years, about a dozen of relatives arrived at the Wan'an Cemetery in Beijing in the morning under a heavy police guard. Eight of those killed in 1989 were buried there, alongside five bereaved family members who died since then. Huang Jinping, who lost her husband in a crackdown, read out a memorial speech, saying they would not give up the quest for the truth, their demand for compensation, and for officials responsible for the bloodshed to be held accountable. China has never provided a full account of the 1989 violence, but rights groups and witnesses say the death toll could be in the thousands. The death toll given by officials days after the crackdown was about 300, most of them soldiers, with 23 students confirmed killed. In Guangxi, almost 40 people have been injured in a knife attack at a primary school. A security guard there was taken into custody, as the BBC's Stephen McDonnell reports. 
It's not yet known why the security guard started attacking staff and students with a knife at the primary school where he worked in China's Guangxi region. Two adults are said to be in a serious condition, the school principal and another security guard. Eight ambulances were sent to the Wangfu Town Central Primary School to race the injured to hospital. The man in his 50s has now been detained by the police, who say they're investigating what happened. In the past, such attacks on students in China have been prompted by local grievances. A United Nations report on human rights in the Philippines says tens of thousands of people may have been killed in the war on drugs since 2016. Manila denies the killings are illegal. The BBC's Howard Johnson reports. The report said that the police's key policy notes contained ominous and ill-defined language such as neutralizing suspects and that coupled with rhetoric at high levels calling for killings of drug offenders, it was taken as a permission by the police to kill. The report added that in the absence of thorough investigations into the killings, impunity continues for the perpetrators. The UN's High Commissioner for Human Rights is now calling for an independent and effective investigation into the allegations. The former U.S. Defense Secretary James Mattis has denounced President Donald Trump, calling him a threat to the Constitution and accusing him of trying to turn Americans against one another. The retired general said he watched recent events angry and appalled. Responding on Twitter, President Trump described him as the world's worst overrated general. Here's the BBC's David Willis. James Mattis basically accused President Trump of seeking to divide the American people and he praised those who are demanding justice following the killing of George Floyd. He said Donald Trump is the first president in my lifetime who does not try to unite the American people, does not even pretend to try. Instead, he tries to divide us. Now, when he stepped down, he vowed actually to stay out of politics, said James Mattis. Well, now he clearly believes that the time has come to add his voice to what is a very concerning situation here in the United States. Former U.S. President Barack Obama, meanwhile, expressed his support for the rallies for racial justice after the killing of George Floyd. He spoke in, spoke in a virtual town hall event. As tragic as these past few weeks have been, they've also been an incredible opportunity for people to be awakened to some of these underlying trends. And they offer an opportunity for us to all work together to change uh, America and, and make it live up to its highest ideals. German prosecutors say Madeleine McCann, a three-year-old British girl who disappeared in Portugal more than a decade ago, is assumed to be dead. They say a German child abuser imprisoned over another case is the murder suspect. The girl went missing from a family holiday at the resort of Praia de Luz in 2007, shortly before her fourth birthday. Her disappearance sparked a long-running investigation by police forces across Europe. The German Chancellor Angela Merkel has announced new measures to reactivate the economy after the coronavirus pandemic. They include a temporary cut in value-added tax, federal support for local governments and a €300 Euro grant to families for each child. Mrs Merkel says the economic situation requires bold action. We're facing the most serious crisis in economic development in Germany's history. This can be seen today alone in more than 7 million people who've been put on reduced working hours. They're an indication of this, and it's clear that the whole thing needs a courageous response with the aim of securing jobs, keeping the economy running, or getting it running again. 
To sports now, Portuguese football is back. The league resumed last night, three months after matches were suspended due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The BBC's John Bennett says the competition features an exciting title race. The Giants, Porto and Benfica renewing their, their rivalry yet again. One point separating them at the top of the table. Porto are the leaders and Braga are in third place. They're 15 points behind second place Benfica, so a long way back. And it's been a long, long time since either of those two teams, Porto and Benfica, didn't win the title. It was way back in 2002. Uh, it's interesting to look at the differences to, to the Bundesliga. There was a recommendation in Portugal by the country's health authorities to play in as few venues as possible but despite that all but two of the 18 teams will be playing at their home stadiums each round of matches spread over four to six days so that as many games as possible can be on tv over in england tottenham have confirmed one positive coronavirus result in the latest round of tests carried out by the premier league that person will now self-isolate for seven days. Nearly 1,200 players and staff were checked in the latest round. Just over 5,000 tests have been conducted through five rounds so far, with a total of 13 positives. The Premier League is aiming to resume on June the 17th. Organisers of the Tokyo Olympics, which have been postponed until next year because of coronavirus, are looking at ways to scale back the Games. The city's governor said they were considering what could be rationalised and simplified because of spiralling costs as a result of the delay. Reports say the opening and closing ceremonies could be streamlined and the number of spectators reduced at indoor events. The World Cup-winning All Blacks fly-half Dan Carter has announced his return to Super Rugby in New Zealand at the age of 38. Adam Jung has details. The two-time World Cup winner Dan Carter is making a surprise return to Super Rugby with the Auckland Blues. Carter moved back to New Zealand earlier this year after the coronavirus ended the rugby season in Japan, where he was playing for the Kobe Steelers. The 38-year-old has agreed a short-term deal to play for the Blues in Super Rugby Aotearoa, a domestic version of the competition due to start next week Saturday. Carter made the announcement at a press conference he said he hasn't played for several months, so it'll be a number of weeks before he's fit for game action. Carter played all of his Super Rugby for the Christchurch-based Crusaders before leaving New Zealand five years ago to play in France and Japan. He retired from Test Rugby after the 2015 World Cup and remains the all-time top scorer of the All Blacks. Adam Chern with that report and a reminder of our top stories tonight. People defy a police ban to remember the Tiananmen Square massacre 31 years ago. The national anthem bill is passed despite opposition and about 100 residents are being evacuated from a shot in public housing block over COVID-19. The news from RTHK. RTHK, Radio 3. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's Newswrap programme. LegCo has passed the National Anthem Bill, which makes disrespecting or misusing the National Anthem a criminal offence, with offenders liable to fines of up to $50,000 or three years in prison. The vote this afternoon was 41-4, one against. Earlier, all 21 amendments the pro-democracy camp put forward to the controversial bill were voted down. And as part of last-ditch efforts to stall the bill, the debate was interrupted at lunchtime when opposition lawmakers Juhoi Dick and Ray Chan threw a foul-smelling liquid onto 
to the chamber floor, leading to police and firefighters being called in. Our reporter Wendy Wong covered the chaotic meeting and told Ben Che what happened. So the meeting was suspended for almost four hours in the afternoon after two pan-democrat lawmakers threw some stinky liquid in the chamber. So after four hours, lawmakers had to move to another room and the meeting resumed shortly before five. But as soon as the meeting restarted, the, um, Democrats had hoist-splashed some foul-smelling liquid again. But this time, the electrical president, Andrew Lern, did not suspend proceedings. Instead, he said um, he would wrap up the debate and he invited the Secretary for Constitutional and Mainland Affairs, Eric Zhang, to deliver his um, concluding remarks. So Mr. Zhang gave a very brief speech during which he said um, people should respect the national anthem, which is a symbol of the country, and that people do not have to be worried about the law if they don't insult the, uh, the national anthem on purpose. So after that, a vote was taken immediately, while um, pan-democratic lawmakers kept shouting the whole time and requested to ask questions about the rules of procedures, but they were ignored by um, electoral president um, Andrew Leung. So in the end, 41 lawmakers voted in support of the law, while only one vote against it, and that is um, Cheng Chong Tai from Civic Passion. So all these happened within 10 minutes. And what has been the uh, lawmakers' reaction so far? Um, as I said, pan-democrat lawmakers are very angry that the government pushed through the bill at Let's Go. But um, members of, from the pro-government camp are also very angry. They're angry about the delaying tactics over the pandemic. Um, they said it's irresponsible and disgusting of the pandemic to throw stinky objects during the meetings repeatedly. Actually, some of the pro-government lawmakers are, uh, are going to the police station to report mm. the incidents. And the Let's Go president, Andrew Leung, also criticized the pan-democratic lawmakers for resorting to such means to um, try to obstruct the proceedings. Okay, and perhaps you can tell us, what were some of the arguments that were heard or said in the chamber today? Um, earlier in the day, all 21 amendments uh, the pro-democracy camp put forward to the bill were voted down. These included a move to reduce the penalties for violations. Uh, for example, Democratic Party chairman Wu Shiwai said he couldn't accept a law that could put people behind bars for as long as three years. However, um, pro-Beijing councillor Chen Kinpo said the penalties have to be as stiff as they are. Otherwise, what he called some radical teenagers could be encouraged to challenge the new law. On this 31st anniversary of the Tiananmen Square Massacre, the University of Hong Kong Student Union marked the bloodshed by cleaning the Pillar of Shame sculpture on campus. The union says a new national security law set to be imposed on Hong Kong should not be used to suppress annual events commemorating the massacre. We talked to a number of students who explained why they're there th this year. <sighs> well... On the one hand, I feel a bit relieved. At least we can still do, at least do something to mourn our fellow fighters for democracy. But it still feels a bit down to be aware of that this may be our last chance to do this kind of activity in Hong Kong. The things they did shall not be forgotten. They gave up their lives for democracy, and they should not be forgotten even after a hundred years. We feel that the pillar of shame and also the Swaya Bridge is actually more than a symbol of the June 4th massacre. We would like our students to understand their role in society through these events, that they are actually the future generations that will take up Hong Kong and they have the responsibility to 
bring Hong Kong forward to push for democratization and all sorts of reforms in the government. After last year's local protest movements, my political awareness increased a lot, and I realized that I had to take every chance to speak out and express my opinions and uphold my rights. Both the June 4th and also the local movement right now have a common enemies, if I may say that, which is the communist government, because it is the communist government which killed those students 31 years ago and also suppressing the local movement right now. And so it would be worth me uh, coming out to express my discontent towards the Beijing government right now. Around 100 residents of a public housing block in Sha Tin are being evacuated from their homes and sent to quarantine camps as a precaution against COVID-19. Despite earlier telling residents of a housing block at Lek Yun Estate that it was safe to stay, health authorities changed their minds after a seventh resident there tested positive for the coronavirus. They now suspect the virus may have been transmitted via the sewage system and people who live in flats that have pipes connected to those of the infected patients are being moved out as a precaution. Anna-Marie Evans asked the chairman of the Medical Association's Advisory Committee on Communicable Diseases, Dr Leung Chi Chu, what he made of the government U-turn. The government is following especially uh, the advice uh, uh, to the residents uh, might have been a little bit uh, confusing uh, because uh, if there are cases, there were cases detected in the building uh, uh, very soon after the two uh, index cases uh, were discovered, uh, we uh, uh, can presume that uh, there would likely be uh, further cases uh, in the coming week uh, because uh, quite a number of them may still be in the incubation period and so it could be initially test negative. And now uh, they find another additional cases uh, although uh, it is uh, uh, with the same uh, uh, fat number uh, below, below or above I mean, uh, the initial affected unit, uh, but uh, it could not explain uh, the whole outbreak because uh, there are units uh, in the same floor uh, which uh, do not share uh, the same price. And so that uh, we need to assume that there is a possibility of environmental contamination uh, rather than uh, because of the sewage pipes. But uh, those, I think, uh, with, uh, uh, along the same vertical line, those units, uh, although the pipes could be a source of the problem, uh, but uh, it could, could also occur by chance uh, or by leaps. I think people taking the same leaps, I think, on the buildings. And if it's active, uh, what were the exact causes? Once we remove uh, the highly infectious index cases, if there is no structural problem in the pipes, uh, there is good reason to believe that uh, the infectious risk should decrease very rapidly. Even if uh, it is full, the sewage pipe, because uh, the viral load in the feces may not be high, and uh, with repeated drainage, uh, the risk should uh, have gone uh, a few days after I think the index case were removed. So the evacuation at this moment is more to protect the community 
because uh, these uh, the people in the in this unit could have been infected and might not have developed disease at this time, and some of them could turn into a uh, uh, silent transmitter, and uh, they are quarantined in quarantine camp. Uh, maybe a proper step to take. The question is more on how about those remaining in the units because uh, environmental contamination uh, uh, is still a uh, uh, possibility and it cannot be excluded at, at least for those living on the same floor. And for that, uh, there is good reason to strongly advise uh, medical surveillance for the whole building, residents in the whole building. And the medical surveillance uh, does not only mean asking the people to look after whether they have symptoms and then to see medical uh, care. It should also contain explicit advice to avoid all high-risk activity, especially uh, high-risk uh, gathering uh, uh, without masks, uh, uh, dining parties, and also uh, for those uh, involved in high-risk job in institutions or in disciplined forces, mm. uh, they should avoid uh, going to work because if we have silent transmitters who develop uh, a high viral load uh, while they uh, within the next 14 days and if they are working in those high-risk situations, there is a risk of super spreading in those institutions and that will cause a major setback yeah. in the control. Because, I mean, more, more students are returning to school this month, so what do you think should be done? Uh, in fact, even the schooling is also a high-risk activity. In fact, the, 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 the avoidance of high-risk activity to include avoid going to school for all those uh, who, who are scheduled to return to, the, to, to resume school in this week. British heir to the throne, Prince Charles, says that contracting coronavirus has made him more determined to push and shout and prod, and he has called for nature to be put at the centre of decision-making. Queen Elizabeth's eldest son warned that without learning from the pandemic, we may face a similar threat in the future. The BBC's Johnny Diamond reports. The Great Reset, Prince Charles calls it, what he says is a golden opportunity to seize something good from the crisis. He has been, in his words, banging on about the importance of the environment for four decades. And now he says we have to find a way to put nature back at the centre of everything we do. We have exploited, dug up and cut down everything as if there was no tomorrow. We have, he says, exposed ourselves to the dangers of SARS, Ebola and now COVID-19 through the destruction of biodiversity. We should have been treating the planet as if it was a patient long ago. So no self-respecting doctor would ever have let the situation, if the planet is a patient, reach this stage before making an intervention. He says he was lucky with his own experience of COVID-19 and got away with it quite lightly. But he can understand what others have gone through. He feels particularly for those who have lost loved ones and have been unable to be with them. And he paid tribute to those in the National Health Service and other key workers. It seems Australian cravings for a life beyond the urban have been brought to the surface by COVID-19. Organisers of bush survival courses say demand has increased significantly in recent weeks. The BBC's Jonathan Savage reports. Is everything else set? 
Look at that. These people are sending out a cry for help. There's an aeroplane coming over in about five, ten minutes, and we're trying to attract his attention by putting in things that don't appear naturally in the wild. They're on a bushcraft course at Kooringai National Park to the north of Sydney, learning to forage, to survive and to connect. This is George Hamza. I've been caught up with that supermarket mayhem. I didn't realise how entrenched I was in that. And coming out here and spending a few days here and removing myself from that, I'm feeling like I'm detoxing a little from that sphere of the world. It's about this time that people are lost and what are you doing? It's coming dark and you're starting to panic. And this is Instructor Gordon Deadman says demand has shot up. This pandemic has highlighted our disconnection to the environment across the world, our over-dependence on the way we use modern technology and the lack of community and people looking after people and our main focus being on economy rather than community. It's time for us to reset the clock and rethink things and become more in touch with the environment, which is our home, and the skills we learn in, in these courses are, are a step towards doing that. Months of restrictions are loosening in Australia. There were runs on supermarket staples, at least when people weren't cooped up at home. Beaches and pubs are now reopening, and the natural world is waiting to be rediscovered. That's why I think this course is probably pretty popular now, just to connect with nature and learn different skills and be a bit more um, yeah, prepared I think. I was a bit of a prepper anyway in the first place so <laughs> collecting things so when this happened I said oh finally <laughs> oh you know not finally something's happened but you know you talk to people at work and they go oh yeah yeah you know you're prepping this prepping this nothing's gonna happen and then uh, yeah and that sort of yeah a little bit happened so yeah. So we're gonna I'm gonna put a rope around that. Instructor Gordon Deadman there ending that report from Jonathan Savage. Those stories were part of the Newswrap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK early this evening. Todd Harding from our newsroom. Provisional registers and the omissions lists were released on the 1st of June. Check your particulars on voterinfo.gov.hk. Electors who receive reminding letters from the Registration and Electoral Office for confirmation of elected status should reply by the 25th of June by post, email or fax. Reply if you receive a letter and check your particulars now. For inquiries, call 2891-1001. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to that time again our kind of music nostalgia from now until 1am oh we'll have loads of time and loads of good music for you don't go away have yourself a nice hot drink or cold drink and enjoy the music coming to you from Ray Codero on Radio 3 
deserve all the applause. Summertime in Venice, played by Ventovani. Here's Jim Reeves. There 